The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we help make your business and workplace be both good for people and for profits. My guest today is Martin Lindstrom. You know, Time Magazine has named him one of the world's 100 most influential people. And for three years running, Thinkers 50 has selected Martin to be among the world's top 50 business thinkers. Martin is a high profile speaker and author of seven New York Times bestselling books, including the critically acclaimed Brand Sense, which the Wall Street Journal called one of the five best marketing books ever published. Martin has written another book just released, which got my attention and the whole reason why he's here. And that book is called The Ministry of Common Sense, How to Eliminate Bureaucratic Red Tape, Bad Excuses and Corporate BS. Man, I love that title. Martin asks, what has happened to common sense and how can we get it back? Companies, it seems, have become so entangled in their own internal issues and red tape that they have lost sight of their purpose and culture. And you know what? There's a heavy price to pay for this. Martin now joins us. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, Martin. Thank you, Marshall. It's amazing to be here with you. The book really made me laugh. You have a, uh, a such a unique style of writing. You have a wicked sense of humor. And I think that's a big draw for the book for those people listening. So the Ministry of Common Sense. But let's start from the top. What's the big idea behind this book? Well, the big idea was really that I was getting insane when I started to work with companies around the world. And this is a true story. I mean, a couple of years ago, McDonald's reached out to me and they said, hey, we would like you to reinvent the Happy Meal. I said, fantastic. I would love to do it if I can make it more healthy. They were really nice to me. They said, absolutely, you go for it. So my goal was to create a Happy Meal with broccoli in it because I'm thinking if I can make a kid, a six-year-old kid eat broccoli, I have done it, right? right? So we created this amazing narrative. You know, the bushes in the forest were broccoli, the blood was the tomato, the cucumber were the murder weapon. And do you know what? We rolled it out in test markets and the kids loved it and parents loved it and the franchisees loved it. Everyone loved it. So I thought, I'm going to the headquarters of McDonald's and shared with these guys just to roll it out in the US. And the first thing they said when they saw this was, pause, interesting. Now, I was really not familiar with that word in the past. I thought, yeah, the thing is interesting, right? <laughs> so I went back and said, this is amazing success. After two years, I'm not kicking, kicking here. After two years, the new Happy Meal was rolled out. And it was an ordinary Happy Meal, the one we do today, plus an apple. And that was really where I realized something had gone wrong. So really, the issue here were that there was no common sense in the organization, as the case is with many organizations, if not more, most of those companies around the world. And when I had interactions with a lovely lady in a major bank, she came up with the idea after she was frustrated with all this lack of common sense. She said to me, why don't we build a ministry of common sense? Mm. And we did it. It's running on its third year and is rolled out in all sorts of companies. 
and it has one simple mission to vacuum clean one stupidity out of the organization <laughs> at a time. And it's super busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. This is great. That's a great segue for getting into the some of the, the stupidity that you've encountered over your, your career as a, as a consultant and all that. I want to get into the stories, but before I get into the one specific, you know which one I'm talking about related to the remote control, but First, why are companies losing their common sense? What's going on behind that? What's going on is that we actually, and this is crazy what I'm telling you right now, but we actually realize through my work that there is a direct correlation between common sense and empathy. Empathy is the ability to put yourself in the shoes of another person and not just see what that person is seeing, but also feel what the person is feeling. Now, then you may say, well, what the heck does it have to do with each other? Well, it's very simple. And when you have common sense, you actually are seeing the world from another person's point of view. That is common, right? That's a common area. But as companies are growing bigger, they have two objectives. One is to protect what they already are losing. That means they put up a lot of safety nets, and that's called bureaucracy and compliance and rules and regulations, all that stuff. And the second thing they do quite often is that they also are starting to optimize every division, every department in the company. They do that through all sorts of different KPIs. But guess what? These key performance indicators are only measuring what that department really think is important. So suddenly you have 15 different departments. And guess what happens? Suddenly they all work against each other because they're all measured in completely different ways. And that's where we have the problem because suddenly people are doing more, allocated more time and focus on handling the frictions and the lack of synergies between the companies than actually caring about what matters, which is the consumer, which is yeah. out there in the real world, completely frustrated about what's going on. I love how you set that up because now we can talk about the remote control story. It's a perfect classic example, what you just said. Will you share that with us? Absolutely. So I was in Miami some time ago and I wanted to watch television. So I got hold of my remote control in this hotel. And I looked at the remote control and it had two on buttons. And I thought, my gosh, is the second on button with sort of an extra super, over supernatural power on button? Is it extra on the television if you press it? So I tried to press it. And guess what? The air conditioning switched on. And the other one, by the way, switched on the minibar. And I was completely confused. So I was fiddling around with this one, pressing everything I could. And after five minutes, the television switched on. So I watched television for a while. I wanted to switch off this television. Well, I tell you, you need to be an engineer to do this because there was two off buttons, right? And when I fiddled around with it, I, I just couldn't switch off the television. So I ended up with a butt in, my, in the air and me underneath the minibar and the television unclocking all of it. <laughs> now, that was really the story. And I kind of forgot everything about it besides that I took a photo of this stupid remote console. So fast forward two months, and I'm sitting on a plane from JFK to, um, to Miami. And this amazing guy is sitting next to me, and we're chatting back and forth. And suddenly, he's asking me, where are you from? I'm saying, well, I run my own company. I'm doing transformation of bigger companies around the world when they're struggling. And you? Well, he said to me, well, I'm from a small company you never, never heard about before. I said, try me. So he said the name. And I looked at him, and I said, what went wrong with you guys? You see, here was the issue. That was the man behind that remote control. He was the one inventing the remote control. So I said to him, 
what is this all about? And the guy, the guy he looked like, you know, a deer in the headlight. He, he said, well, listen, we actually had some issues internally. And the issues were that when you have one department responsible for Netflix and another one for TV and a third one for recording and one for the air conditioning, we had a lot of conflicts internally here. So we came up with a brilliant idea. Why don't we separate the entire remote control into different zones internally? It's kind of we are splitting our real estate here on the remote control. So one department is responsible for the first three buttons, another one for the next five. And then we had the whole beautiful remote control. And I said to him, yes, and I can't switch on the television. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the story. The remote control is kind of symbolic for what really goes on in companies. It is a final crack in that bridge where really the foundation structure is now collapsing. And you can't really see what's going on in there, but you can see the first crack on the outside of that bridge. Mm. And that is what companies are so struggling with today. These companies today increasingly look at the world from inside out. And I'll give you an example of that. So a company we're working for, it's, it's one of the largest shipping companies in the world, it's called Maersk. These guys called me in to look at what's called the NPS score. It stands for Net Promoter Score. And Net Promoter is really the way to evaluate the customer satisfaction. They had a, a fairly bad NPS. So I was in China listening to all these complaints coming in at the call center. And after each of these sessions, I realized that whatever the complaint was all about, they would tick one box on the screen and it would be force majeure. Now, you know force majeure, that's an earthquake or COVID-19, but it's not that every single complaint is force majeure. So later on, I asked them, why do you do that? And they told me, well, we do that because it's much faster. You see, if I click another box, I have to fill out, fill out three screens and it would take me another 15 minutes. And because we measured on time, No, we want to do this as quick as possible. And I said, except the fact that every single customer now is labeled with force majeure, which means you can't refund anything on the insurance. And this is really the issue. These guys were measured on things which had nothing to do with customer experience. And in reality, when they started to work together all these aspects, what happened is that they were all measured differently. So suddenly the NPS, the customer satisfaction went down. And this is the essence we see time after time among companies that they actually are not thinking through the lens of empathy and seeing the mm. world from the consumer point of view. They see it from their own bureaucratic point of view. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's the bureaucracy that strips our common sense away, having the wrong KPIs. Why is empathy in big companies, especially on the decline? You mentioned quite a few reasons why that's the case, and we're losing our common sense and our empathy because of it. What's another good example of that? Well, I have many examples of it. And I think if I take you back in time, uh, you will notice that the technology increasingly is removing empathy from our world. The fact that you and I are communicating through Zoom uh, means that I don't pick up all the small vibes in the room. Think about it. In the old days when we had physical interactions, you would walk into a meeting and you'd say, there's a bad feeling in here. Oh, there's a good feeling here. How do you notice that? Is that the smell? What, what, what is it? Well, that is our ability to pick up these signals. And that is those micro movements, among others. We don't do that anymore. Mm. And the best example of that is Botox. This is you know, amazing what I'm telling you now, but recent studies are showing that 
for example, when mothers are interacting with the babies, if they have a stone face, babies within 30 seconds will throw a tandem in a way you've never seen before because there's no micro expressions on the face. And that actually tells us today that people using Botox, in fact, are completely losing empathy because people can't really pick up the signals anymore. We also know today for a fact that the degree of empathy in our society has dropped some 15% over the last decade. Mm. And that is due to everything from Twitter, how can you express emotions in 100 plus characters, to everything from me having a little stamp-sized photo of myself in the upper right corner of Zoom, where I'm more busy looking at myself than actually looking at the other person. That's, by the way, the reason why the number of plastic operations has gone up 260% around the world over the last half a year. This gives you an indication of that we have become a very, very self-centered organism, you know, self-centered generation. And what has happened in companies is, I think that increasingly people are so stuck behind the screens now where culture collapses because how do you maintain a culture while you're sitting from home? Uh, how do you actually engage with other colleagues and see things from their point of view when you hardly are together with them? And all these things are increasingly basically falling apart. So this is one of the reasons why, uh, and what I can tell you as a headline here is very simple. The larger the company is, the less common sense they have. The smaller, the more entrepreneurial they have, the more common sense they have. Hmm. Hmm. So I want to tie empathy to the customer experience because we see so much of that lacking in how we are treated as consumers. And you have this such a good customer experience story about empathy that happened to you at an airport in Dubai from you were going to catch a plane in Dubai yeah, to, I believe, yeah. Romania. So this story to me illustrates really rare common sense. I mean, it's going way above and beyond what a normal person would do in service to a customer. So you want to share that, what happened? Absolutely. So the principle of that story I'm going to share with all of you now is really coming back to a principle I first learned in Japan. In Japan, I was once ordering sake and there was this little wooden box with a little glass inside. And this old Japanese lady, I think she was between 150 and 600 years old, was pouring this glass of sake full to the edge. And then it, it was floating all the edge into the little wooden box. And I said, stop, 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 don't do it. And I said, why do you do that? And she said to me, we always here in Japan over deliver and under promise. Over deliver and under promise. And that is exactly fast forward to Dubai, what I experienced in Dubai. So I was catching a plane with the Emirates and the airport, as you may be aware of, the Emirates, at least until recently, was the largest international airline company in the world. And I went to Terminal 2, as I always done by habit, and I checked in and this guy behind the counter, his face turned from normal color to white. And I said, what's wrong? He said, you will never, ever catch that flight. I said, what do you mean? I said, this is in Terminal 4. It would take you at least an hour in a car to get there. I said, my gosh, I have to get to my destination. This is horrible. He said, yes, absolutely it is. I said, what do you do? He looked at me and then he said, do you know what? Do you want to get some exercise? I said, absolutely, I'm up for it. Let's make it happen. It's my lunch break now, he said. And then he went out from the counter and he started to run. And we ran like a bad movie in and out of security 
we skipped a couple of securities on the way, I think, even, right? And we took the back landing and we went where only personals are allowed to walk. And we went through all the illegal places and all the legal places you can imagine, in and out and up and down. For half an hour, we were literally running and we just arrived on board on this plane. And he said, have a good flight. And he could hardly say it to me. Now, this is my story about over-delivering and under-promising. Here's the issue today. Back to the selfish manner. Today, we have no interest in helping others unless I get something back. But guess what? If the whole world is like that, no one is giving anything because everyone is waiting for something to come back. No one is doing a first step saying, do you know what? I'm going to give you something. And I don't want anything back necessarily. If you want to give me something back, that's fine. But that's not the conditions I'm dealing with. And what happened with these guys, which, by by the way, had lost his entire lunch break, was exactly that. Now, I'm going to send him this book when it's out now to the CEO and the chairman of Emirates and point it out because that is my way of giving back to him that he will have a book where his name is mentioned across 60 different languages in 107 countries where this book is published. Mm, Wow. What a great story. I want to discuss with you what corporate politics, you, you write a whole chapter on corporate politics and what corporate politics is doing to erode common sense. You call politics the enemy of common sense. Martin and I will dig into that topic after this quick break. Don't go anywhere. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. You probably already know this if you've been following the show. The question comes up often. What's the purpose of this show? What's the why behind love and action? Well, the simple answer We need to eliminate suffering in the workplace and help leaders to flourish. Because when we have good leaders in place, the people under their care also flourish. That is really good for business. And by the way, as an extension of the podcast, I launched a leadership development course. It's got a catchy name. Check it out on my website. It's called From Boss to Leader. And in this course, I teach the skills that you often hear on the show. Things like how to communicate more effectively, how to engage your employees to put out their best effort, and how to build a high-performing organization. So check it out. I'm taking calls right now, and I'd love to personally chat with you to see if this course may be a good fit. Reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com and click on virtual training. Okay, we're back. So how does corporate politics destroy common sense? Well, you have to remember politics is all about getting things through a system with only you as the person interested in the outcome. And then you need to get other people on board and buy into it. But the problem is that if a company is not aligned with where it wants to go, or if they're starting to protect themselves so much because they're afraid of losing what they have, you suddenly are introducing new functions in the company. It may be it's legal. It may be it's compliance. It may be it's a different division which are responsible for corporate communication. And all of these departments really are there with a very good intention of saving their own back here. 
But the problem is quite often they're not interested in the bigger, the bigger perspective. And let me just give you an example of that, which will put it into perspective, I think. So we work for a, a very large pharmaceutical company. And these guys have been working in the respiratory disease field for a very, very long time. And when they reached out to me, I asked them a simple question. I said, listen, how often do you spend time with the patient? And they looked at me just like a deer in the headlight saying, never. Just like that would be, why do you ask type of question? I said, never. One single time, never. I said, why? Well, they said, well, because compliance will not allow us to do that. I said, have you ever asked them? No. So how do you know? We just know. We know. They always say no, these guys. So I went to compliance. I said, listen, is it true? I said, no. Of course you can go out and visit the patients. So we did. We ran around. And this is what's so interesting. This is a very fascinating insight. We went into a home of a young girl. And this girl, she was literally heartbroken by the fact that she had asthma. And she said, I'm kind of feel like I'm disconnected from the world. I feel I've lost the tribe I was part of. I feel like I'm a loser, frankly speaking. I said to her, so what do you do about it to convince others that that's actually not the case? She said, listen, I give them a straw. A straw, I said, yeah, it's a straw, she said. Try to breathe through this straw while holding yourself on the nose. I did it. It was almost impossible. I said, that's a brilliant idea. So I took that idea back to the scene amendment. We did a workshop where I had everyone put a straw in their mouth. We switched off the light. We had a sound of a heavy breathing person in the background. And then people had to breathe. Within 30 seconds, half of the people spit up the, the straw. And I said to them, why do you do that? It's impossible, they said, to breathe this way. I said, yes, exactly. And that is how every single asthma patient feel like, not just in one minute, but every minute of their entire life. Ugh. And it was almost like the penny dropped in the room. You could almost hear it, where people just say, gosh, and why did that happen? It happened because of empathy. That because suddenly you felt what other people felt. And suddenly the bureaucracy started to disappear. Because when I spoke to compliance, they actually said, well, let me feel how a patient is feeling and then we'll create the regulations around it with them in center rather than with regulatory issues in center. And this really changed the whole organization. And this is my message that politics is there in particular when it loses sight of reality. When you only have a one-way street and that's your point of view, take it or leave it. But in reality, you need to see everything from different angles. Then you can secure the buy-in. And I do think that's the reason why we have so much politics in Washington going on right now, because people don't want to see it from other points of view. Mm, mm, okay. Yeah, because I was going to ask you about the real root cause of politics. And I can go to all kinds of places, like the absence of, like you said, seeing someone else's point of view, not being transparent, or maybe even secrecy. What would you say? I think the essence to lack of common sense in organizations today probably is that in the end of the day, we've lose, lost sight of what the feeling was originally. Let me give you an example. If you take this story, two founders come up with a crazy idea just before they do that. They're just sitting in a dorm room. They're, one of the guys is smoking weeds. The other friend is shooting a photo of him. He sets it online on social media. It blasts around the whole world. Parents are seeing it the day after. They freak out. And this guy is saying, I wish I could retract that photo. And that became the, the startup 
called SNAP. And that is a story happening because a person felt a pain and came up with a solution around it. That is how comedies are founded. And that's the reason why most entrepreneurial comedy rarely have bureaucracy, because bureaucracy is first happening when you put multiple layers on to protect what you already have. And remember, that's when you lose the sense of empathy, because empathy is disappearing over time as many people are onboarded, and those people are far removed from what the original core feeling was all about. And then, of course, this company really want to protect not losing this stuff, and that's where the legal and compliance and rules and regulations are added on top of it, like a stretch jacket. And then, in the end, you're ending up with these very slow companies which actually, quite frankly, have no interest in dealing with what the consumer wants. And I think that's the reason why when you look at the large FMCG companies, so the large consumer manufacturers producing food today, why do I eat Kellogg's cornflakes? Well, I eat it because I've done it my whole life, but the reality is it's not very healthy, right? So why don't they change? Well, I'm sure they try to change internally, but they never really managed to come up with a concrete alternative to that product, mostly because they have 17 factories producing only Kellogg's conflicts on a conveyor belt. So to change that is really, really difficult. So they rather push this down the throat of a consumer than go the opposite way and say, hey, we have an amazing brand name. We are the trusted breakfast manufacturer. Let's reinvent how we are eating in the morning. And yes, they've done it to some extent, but not really. And I think that's the case, not just with Kellogg's, but with almost every single major company out there, that they, just like McDonald's, want it, but really don't want it. Martin, I want to get back to technology and just kind of dig in a little more on, on that topic. We're in this world now where things are automated. We talk through apps and screens, tiny little screens like we're doing right now. And it's like you said, it's technology has, has stripped our common sense. We've lost a human touch. What would happen if we didn't have technology, maybe stepped outside it for a few days? How would it affect a large business in today's AI automated world? Well, let's not step out for a day or two. Let's step out for six weeks instead, because that's exactly what Merce, remember the shipping company we talked about some minutes ago, did. They actually, and I was there, this was an amazing experience, not very particularly funny, I would say, but I was standing there in one of these huge coordination centers and suddenly every single screen, and I could probably see 2,000 screens from where I was standing in this control room, switched off, black, completely black. And I looked at the guys showing me around and said, is this normal? He said, no, I never seen this before. And what actually happened was that Maersk was hit with the biggest cyber attack in history. Let me just put this into perspective. Maersk is sitting on 21% of all trade. That means every fifth product you have in your home right now, which is not produced in your home, most likely is transported by these guys. Okay? Wow. So imagine this from one second to another. These big container ships across the entire world with everything from thousands of cars to millions of flowers to all the meat to the entire production of Lego bricks, all of that disappeared in a flash. They were gone. And that was the moment where I realized now reality hits. Now the rubber hits the road of what do organizations do when there is no technology around? These guys literally had to use WhatsApp internally to communicate with each other. They could not send an email. 
They could not make a phone on a regular phone because everything was IP related. They could only use WhatsApp to run the biggest shipping company in the world. So what happened? Fast forward, three things happened and you will be surprised. I was doing a workshop late on. I think I had a couple of thousand people attending from the company. And I asked them a question. How was that experience? If you liked it, raise your hand, thinking no one would raise their hand. Literally everyone loved it. So why was that? They loved it because suddenly they said the entrepreneurial company came back. We made decisions ourselves. We followed our gut instinct, they said. We were running down the aisles. We were clapping in our hands. We were interacting. We had fun. Yes, we were working day and night. Was it a nightmare? Absolutely. Did we lose money? It was horrible. But the reality was the good old Merck came back, they said to me. We suddenly had the leaders walking tours on all the aisles of the company every second hour just to say, are you guys okay? We had late night pizzas coming in. All of that stuff happened. And what was really fascinating about this was that this happened almost one and a half year before COVID-19 hit the world. And as Merck went through COVID-19, there probably were, still is today, the company which were doing the best during the crisis because they already once had been through a complete shock into the organization and knew how to handle it. So actually, they're just taking the old playbook up and repeating it again. That's so fascinating to me because when you get back to the basics of human instincts, well, that basically kicks in. Your empathy, empathy returns. Your ability to connect with, with each other comes back and it gives you that sort of an intrinsic motivation right? To now that you're reconnecting with people face-to-face, staring eyeball to eyeball, shaking hands, and not relying on blips on a computer screen, it reignites your sense of ownership. And like you said, it, the entrepreneurial spirit came back to Maersk, right? You're right, because I want to share another story with you, which probably puts this into perspective. I mean, three years ago, I realized my creativity levels had disappeared. I was simply spending too much time on my phone, on another screen, back-to-back, as you know, in Zoom calls. It was not particular fun. And from one day or another, I skipped having a phone. So I don't have a smartphone today and haven't had a phone for three years. And what I realized through this process was that we never get bored anymore. And boredom is the foundation for creativity. Why is that? Because it gives you a pause in your life. It's almost like you can jump into a helicopter and see everything you do in a perspective and and start to connect dots in ways you've never done before. That fuels creativity. It also, and this is so important for everyone to have in mind, it also adds one thing with AI and other type of programming techniques cannot add to the picture, and that's intuition. Because an intuition is an accumulation of experiences for many years. You may not be able to articulate why you do it, but you can articulate how you do it. And I think at the end of the day, what is so important with all this stuff is that we actually have a pause. As we're all sitting behind the screen on Zoom calls, working from home, there's two things happening, which I think is frightening. The first thing which is happening is that we have a pipeline of bureaucracy going straight into our bedroom, right? And that's not healthy because we need to mix private and work to some extent, or else we will go down with stress. The second thing is, We are back-to-back in Zoom calls. There's not even a toilet break anymore. No one will say, I want to go to the bathroom. You just don't do this. So we are not going to the toilet for about eight hours, which all of us know, of course, 
is not the case. But of course, I'm sneaking out, not telling anyone, going back again, continue nodding and asking exactly the same question as everyone asked while I was on the toilet, right? So we can repeat everything and go into a circle and run our Zoom call for exactly 60 minutes. Because if you cut it short, you kind of feel like you're cheating. So let's just continue a conversation which have already been fixed just a couple of times more. So by the top of the hour, I can say I'm jumping into another Zoom call. And as I jump into another Zoom call, we no longer say hello to each other. No, the first thing we say is you are on mute, right? That's a new way of saying hello these days. So where are we getting with this? We get into a world where we have no way of being creative. It's first at eight o'clock as I throw myself on the couch, lying there, I'm realizing I now have to start working because I have eight spreadsheets open with all my notes from all these eight calls and I had no time to do it. Well, unless I prepared during one Zoom call, the next Zoom call, doing my PowerPoint presentation, so I was prepared for the next one and then basically I was not present anyway. This is lack of common sense. And not only that, it's also removing the biggest asset we have as human being, both the sense of empathy, but also our ability to use our instinct. Yeah, yeah. So sticking with the theme of these Zoom calls, Zoom meetings that we jump from one to another, what are some good common sense rules, Martin, that we can apply to running successful Zoom meetings nowadays? I think the first rule is that you had to remember all the stuff which were existing in the good old days where we only were working in offices and were, for example, the walk to the meeting room. It was the hang around after the meeting. It was the walk to the water cooler. It was the canteen moment or for some, the smoking a coffee break. All these moments were considered by finance as being unproductive. A lot of people would like to put a timesheet on it as well and a client code. In reality, we've learned now they actually are productive. They were creating the emotional glue actually creating a culture. Now that's gone now. All numbers are now saying that productivity has gone up, not just in the billions, but perhaps even in the trillions because we're not sitting on planes anymore. We're not sitting in taxis. We're not going into hotels, all that stuff. But what has happened at the same time is that creativity has gone down the drain and culture, of course, is disappearing. So here's a couple of rules. The first thing is when you start up your meeting, you almost need to have an agenda. But the second thing is start the meeting by doing a breakout. And as you do a breakout, and you can easily do that almost using any technology platform today, ask a simple or two simple questions. The first one is, what was your biggest challenge last week or yesterday, and how did you solve it? And that is a very simple question to share the different challenges everyone has. And as you do that, there's a sense of empathy created. Then you jump back again. Now, second. A meeting should be no longer than half an hour. In fact, I prefer 25 minutes. So you stop five minutes before so you can have a toilet break. The second thing you should do is you should ensure that you call people straight after that meeting. And you basically say, hey, Peter, I noticed you're very silent on this call. Is that the reason why? Uh, oh, hey, Suzanne, do you know what? You had some good ideas. We never had time to talk about it. What was your thinking? That is what we did straight after the meeting, right? when we have physical meetings. We don't do that anymore. So there's no way of aligning because no one is going to object when there's 200 people on the call. That leads me to the third point. Don't be 400 people on the call. Be four people. Mm. Four people, right? Very short, very small meeting. And by the way, if you're really courageous, put a clock in action, put a counting up, basically reflecting the number of dollars this meeting cost 
because every person has a salary, every person has a cost, so that you're aware of the productivity. After that, issue a conference report straight after and make one person responsible for having everyone else say they did it, they don't do it, or they had a challenge with it. And then that's your roadmap to continue. This is me covering the rational part of how to run meetings. Of course, the emotional side is very different in terms of ideation and stuff like that, but this is at least a good way of making the wheel spin. That's great. I love it. Martin, it's been a great conversation. So before we uh, come to a close, I want to make sure that we have not missed like any blatant examples of how, how we've lost our common sense. So do any more need to be brought up that you just got to go this one? We can't ignore this one. Absolutely. We are in the middle of COVID and this will probably continue for some time. So let me tell you a COVID story. Here I am sitting on a plane bound for Switzerland. As I'm sitting on the plane, there's this speaker, a loudspeaker going on. And, and it's a voice from uh, the cabin crew saying, ladies and gentlemen, welcome on board on this plane bound for Switzerland. I regretfully can inform you that all cabin service has been completely suspended on the entire flight due to COVID-19. And the laboratories in the very front has been closed, now only reserved for the cabin crew. You can use the laboratory in the back if you wish to do so. Now, let me just pause here for a second. First of all, 179 passengers now had to walk down the aisle, all stand up in a line in the back of the plane while they smell this freshly brewed smell of toilets mixed with Corona. And on top of that, not only this, is happening. But another thing is happening. There is these contact tracing forms being distributed on the plane. The first question on the contact tracing form is the following. Have you been in close proximity to anyone over the last 24 hours? Now, let me just give you an advice. The only thing you have to do is to look to your right. There's a guy sitting about an inch away from you. So you better write his name or her name down. The second question is even worse. It says, have you touched anything which anyone else has touched over the last two hours. Now, here's the issue. This is a contact tracing form. No one has pens anymore, okay? So, of course, one bright person is now borrowing a pen from the students. <laughs> that pen is walking through the entire plane. So you can tick yes to that box as well. And I have a third box I can add. Has stupidity arrived in planet Earth after COVID-19? Absolutely, <laughs> I'll tick that box as well because it's become a global, universal, globally synchronized <laughs> excuse for anything and everyone. Do I like this whole situation win? No. Is COVID-19 serious? Absolutely. But right now it's used as a blanket excuse for anything and everyone. And the only thing missing in this game is common uh, sense. Yeah. Martin, let's systematize common sense back into an organization. So if you're speaking to a CEO right now listening, who wants to restore common sense in his or her organization, what's a good first step? A good first step is, is super simple. It is probably to look at the frictions which are happening in the organization and find out where can you change things in a very quick way. So the first question you ask yourself is, what is the most frustrating thing your customers are experiencing? Let me give you an example. I'll go into the airline industry because we talk about it. One of our clients is Swiss International Airlines. They had a friction because whenever a person would complain on board on a plane, then what would happen was that the person would say, do you know what? I'm really sorry about that. Listen, I'll get back to you. And then they would come back with a customer complaint form. You had to fill it up. 
And they will tell them, we'll get back to you via mail within the next eight to nine weeks. Now, I don't need to tell you, if you're fuming, you will rant online and basically, basically completely destroy this whole airline company for the next nine weeks until something is happening. That is the lack of common sense. Let's turn that around. So why, what is the cause? What's the root cause? What's are justifying you doing that? Well, people would say that's because you save money. BS. It's not because you save money. Here's the issue. It costs $97 to administrate this alone. What if I took these $98, gave them to the person, the person who give them on a gift voucher to the passenger? Well, guess what? That's exactly what we did. Mm. The customer satisfaction went up and the cost went down. And that's common sense. Mm. Well, we end our episodes. There's tradition here. We bring it home with two final questions for you. And here's the first one. Personally, Martin, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know? I feel that we in this world have forgotten to be human, to be honest. And I think that we are getting to a place now where a lot of people feel a lot of loss of purpose at home. They don't feel happy with the work. They feel a lot of anxiety. And it makes me incredibly sad because I do actually think we are at a stage now where it probably is time to put a line in the sand and say, why don't we use COVID-19 as an excuse to change our lives and to change the world? I think a lot of people see this, and I write this so I understand, see this as only hell. I actually always believe there is some positive in stuff. And I actually think you can use it as your benefit to change your life, reconsider what your purpose in life is. So when we get on the other side of this dark tunnel, we actually are as bright as the sun. Love it. Love it. And you end us with that one final takeaway, that one thing that we can walk away with that's going to make a difference in our lives. Common sense is not that common. He is Martin Lindstrom in the book, again, is called The Ministry of Common Sense. Martin, if people want to get in touch with you, connect with you, how can they do that? Listen, check it out on martinlindstrom.com. You can find me on Twitter, hashtag Martin Lindstrom, or on Facebook, Martin Lindstrom, or on LinkedIn and Lindstrom Company. Of course, you can check out my book on Amazon. I really appreciate you having you on. I tell you, it was a page turner. And like I said in, my, in the beginning, there were pages where my wife was going, what's so funny? Why are you laughing? I mean, I was laughing out loud. Your writing style is incredible. So thank you, sir, for joining us today. We are all better for it. Thank you. If you'd like to join the conversation and comment on this episode, hashtag Love in Action Podcast will get you there. And I'm also going to be posting this episode on Twitter at Marcel Schwantes. And on LinkedIn, you can find me there at Marcel Schwantes. Also, check out the show notes uh, to this episode where I'm going to put all of, all of Martin's resources on my website. And of course, that is MarcelSchwantes.com. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Doing so will help more people to find the podcast so we can keep spreading the Love in Action movement. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and be convinced.